absolutely true that Jesus Christ uses a child to describe what it is who is best in the kingdom of God. What in the world am I talking about? Well, stay here and find out as we continue to teach today. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Ember. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. Corey is off for a few months, but Ryan is here. Ryan, what's going on? Well, you know, yesterday we studied the life and times of the Apostle John, and today we're going to do the same with his brother, James. Excellent. Very good. Janice, what did you do? A question. Who's number one? All right. Very good. And also joining me today is Jim Canelon, who is our guest. Jim, how are you? I'm terrific. I'm, I'm just reveling in all of this knowledge around this table. I, <laughs> I, I don't know about that, but it's good to have you, I'll tell you. <laughs> anyway, so uh, this is really important that we study this today. It's a very, very key scripture. Uh, and this is in Mark chapter 9. So get your Bible out, your Bible guide. Let's open it up and learn what God has said to us today. Mark 9, 30-37 Then they departed from there, and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know it. For he taught his disciples and said to them, The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise the third day. But they did not understand this saying, and were afraid to ask him. Then he came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What was it you disputed among yourselves on the road? But they kept silent, for on the road they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. And he sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, if anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me but him who sent me. Mark chapter 9, verses 30 through 37. Today we continue reading through the Bible. We come on Mark chapter 9 and chapter 10. Now this is an amazing passage. Now I need to present to you the idea that there are some strange things about Jesus Christ. And there are many who feel that Jesus Christ was and is a fake. They believe that the life he lived and died was there, but that was the end of him. His so-called resurrection and everything surrounding his name, his teaching, his work. This was all fictional or highly embellished. And therefore, the Bible is just a book of myths. Sadly, though, in a survey of people claiming to be Christians. They went out and got people who said, yes, I'm a Christian. Did you know that 16% of those people who said I'm a Christian agreed that the Bible was a book of myths? 16% who were called Christians. In fact, only 25% of them claimed that the Bible was the word of God. 
oh my goodness, we need to discover the truth about what Jesus Christ did and what Jesus Christ said when he was on this earth. Our weighing of, of the evidence will have many implications for our faith and, and, and how we live. The truth is that the prediction of Christ's death happened long before he died. The claims of his healings, they were all real. And today we look at the claim that Jesus Christ made about his death and his resurrection, and we recognize that it's real. That's interesting, isn't it? We, we have to pay attention to the Bible, beloved. We, we have to say, wait a minute. Let's consider this book again. Let's not take somebody else's idea for it. Let's not, you know, whatever they say here. We need to pay attention to the Bible because the Bible is the best-selling book in the world. Did you know that? The best-selling book. Everybody wants to have a book they can publish. They get a version of the Bible because they want to be successful as a publisher. The Bible is unique. There's one book that people like Hitler and everybody else wanted to get rid of and burn, and that was the Bible. Beloved, we need to pay attention to that. Now, today we're looking at the truth about Jesus Christ. And as we do, consider the fact that God has spoken to us through his word, through the Bible, and he's told us what Jesus did. And Father, I pray today, as we study this, I pray that you would show us your way and teach us your paths, Lord, because the Bible is real. It's a translation of the word of God. It tells us the truth about who he is. It tells us the truth about what you desire, what you have told us, and the dangers of, of much of the sin in this world. Help us to hear you, Lord, in Jesus' name. And we said together, amen and amen. Now today, we're looking at Mark chapter 9. Go down about 29 verses, and let's look at verse 30. Here's what it says. Then they departed from there and passed through Galilee. They're in Israel. And they departed from there and passed through the Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know it. For he taught his disciples and said to them, The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And after he is killed, listen to what he said, Listen to this. After he is killed, he will rise the third day. But they didn't understand this saying, and they were afraid to ask him about it. Beloved, Jesus gave the keys to recognizing the kingdom of God through his resurrection. We often do not understand what God is saying or doing Yet God has his purpose. I, I just need to tell you that, that the Bible is right and it's true. And there is absolute truth here. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. I mean, I, look, this he changed my life. 45 years ago, he's changed everything. Beloved, he's changed many lives. His resurrection is real and it's true. So whatever excuses we make, Whatever reasons we have, throw them out the window. If we decide against the Lord, we're deciding against his truth. Very important to hear that. Okay, let's go on to verse 33. Then he came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what was it you disputed among yourselves on the road? 
But they kept silent, for on the road they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve and said to them, Listen, if anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. And I broadcast this today. It's the word of God to a huge population that totally misunderstands Jesus. Jesus explains that, there, that to be filled first, we must be last. To be first, we must be last. We must live to advance the kingdom of God, that's it, and allow God to advance us as we serve him. Did you get that? In order for us to be first, you know, we, we talk about, well, get out there and talk about yourself and, you know, promote yourself and pitch yourself, make your resume just right. And, but hold on a minute. God says, if you want to be first, don't do that. Just do your honesty, be honest, and tell the people who you are. Tell them who God is, and he will advance you. Now, that's totally alien to what Hollywood and everybody else makes the decision to pro propagate today. But that's the Bible, and that's what we're talking about. Let's go back to the scripture and look at Mark 9, 36. Then he took a little child, a child, a little child, and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one of these little children in my name, he receives me. And whoever receives me, receives not me, but him who sent me. In other words, God. That's incredible. Listen carefully. Jesus uses a child as an object lesson, and he was really more than an object lesson, to his disciples. Beloved, we need to pay attention to the value and the ways of the kingdom of God. It is so easy for us with television and all of the media we have to make ourselves great, to lift ourselves up. How disappointing. How troubling. That's just unwise. We don't lift ourselves up. We teach the word of God. We lift up Jesus Christ. This program, Bible Discovery TV, it's about the Bible. It's not about me or my wife or my daughter or my son. It's about the Bible. And we present the Bible in, in, in this way. It's first. That's why we read the Bible on this program. That's why we have times of prayer on this program with Watch and Pray which you'll see in a minute, because we are trying to put God's word first. We must be last, because beloved, unless you do that, things are not going to go well. They're not going to go well. You've seen it, and I've seen it. Big people who have fallen on their face, flat on their face. May the Lord help us to hear his word today. This character of King Saul, this historical figure. Now, I think it's probably fair to say that most of us, uh, when we think of King Saul, we think of the bad guy foil to King David. But an entire book of the Bible is also dedicated to mostly his reign. Of course, that's 1 Samuel. So I'm really excited to jump into it today and see what we can learn about Saul. Saul. 
Well, it's time now to carry on with our Bible study. And today, my segment is sort of a continuation from yesterday in which we studied the life and times of the Apostle John. But instead of John today, we're going to be looking at his brother, James. Now, don't get this James confused with the other Jameses in the New Testament. This is not our Lord's half-brother who penned the book of James. Neither is it James the son of Alphaeus, who was also one of the Twelve Apostles. This is James the brother of John and son of Zebedee. Take a look. Despite the fact that James, together with his brother John, father Zebedee, and Simon and Andrew, all ran a prosperous fishing business out of Capernaum on the Galilee, their latest catch was dismal. In fact, they had caught nothing. But that was all about to change. Indeed, just hours later, they suddenly found their boats overflowing with fish. So many, in fact, that they began to sink. What was their secret? Actually, it wasn't a what, but a who. Namely, Jesus of Nazareth. The Lord had performed this miracle partly as a sign and illustration of what these fishermen were to become, fishers of men. Without hesitation, James, along with the other three, gave up everything to become Jesus' disciples. Although in time Jesus came to have many disciples, James was a part of the inside group known as the Twelve. In fact, he, along with John and Peter, was a part of an even finer distillation referred to as the Three. This inner circle of disciples witnessed events that no one else saw, including the raising of Jairus' daughter from the dead, the transfiguration of Jesus Christ, and Jesus' agony at the Garden of Gethsemane. Unfortunately for James and John, their privileged position led them to think of themselves more highly than they ought to, and with the help of their mother Salome, asked Jesus for places of honor at his left and right hand in his coming kingdom. As a result of this power play, they suffered the indignation of the other ten disciples, though Jesus was able to use this as an opportunity to teach his disciples about the importance of serving others. On another occasion, James and John wanted to call down fire on a Samaritan village that rejected Jesus. Of course, Jesus declined, but nicknamed them the Sons of Thunder because of their rash and fiery temperament. As far as these two brothers go, James was probably John's elder brother. Though scripture doesn't explicitly tell us, in each passage where the apostles are numbered, James is listed third and John is listed fourth. If this is so, then it may have been difficult for James as the older brother to watch the younger John gain more recognition as a leader than he did. However, there is no indication of jealousy or rivalry on James's part during the early years of the church. If anything, James, like John seemed to do, probably grew more compassionate as he matured in his faith. Sadly, unlike his brother, who apparently died a natural death, James was the first of the disciples to be martyred. In fact, of all the disciples, the Bible only reports the death of James. King Herod Agrippa had him killed by the sword during persecution of the church, a campaign intended to boost Agrippa's popularity with the Jews. Nevertheless, later Christian stories say that before James died, he preached in Spain, where he is now the patron saint. So just to expand on what happened to James, the final mention of him in the New Testament is in regard to his death at the hands of King Herod Agrippa in Acts 12, 1 and 2. Now, there were other Christians who were arrested along with James in Herod Agrippa's persecution, but apparently Agrippa intended to make James's death a warning to the church. But whatever advantage Agrippa may have thought he gained by killing James was short-lived because soon Peter was miraculously freed from prison, 
which was probably a great embarrassment to Agrippa. Then Agrippa himself died an excruciating death, which Josephus described as being from violent stomach pains. And scripture actually attributes the death to Agrippa's failure to give praise to God, which may also include retribution for persecuting God's people, including the martyrdom of James. Very, very interesting. Yeah, that, that is interesting. And the martyrdom of the disciples is amazing. I think the only disciple that uh, probably wasn't martyred of the 12 was John. That's right. Um, and, uh, you know, Matthias replaced Judas. But, I mean, it's just really, really interesting. Very good, Ryan. Thank you. Janice? Well, today I wanted to focus on who's number one. We get um, our reading today from Mark chapter 9, and it starts out with the transfiguration of Jesus. It goes into a boy who is healed, and uh, Jesus predicting his death and resurrection. And who is the greatest? Uh, the disciples were having a discussion. Now, Jim, at any point in time, I would love for you to be able to add commentary mm, to this. Okay. And, and I know you were excited to hear that we were uh, talking about the transfiguration yeah. of Jesus in this chapter. But I'm just going to go through my thoughts here, and then um, mm. I, I would invite you to just jump in. My thoughts here, Jesus heals a boy when the disciples were not able. That's verses 14 through 29. Jesus predicts his death and resurrection with his disciples, but they don't understand. And the phrase that always jumps out at me is they were afraid to ask. They didn't even ask him about it. Then Jesus knows what they're discussing as they're walking along the road. They're talking about who would be the greatest in the kingdom. And he asks them what they're talking about when they finally get to their destination and they're quiet. They don't answer but he already knows and then begins his explanation to them. And what he does so amazingly and so wonderfully is he picks up a, a little boy, he picks up this child, and he begins to explain to them and talking about the difference of the way God thinks and God's kingdom to the kingdom that we set up here um, on our human thinking and how very different that it is. So Jesus knows our hearts and our thoughts. You know, it's been the same from the beginning of time when Adam and Eve chose to listen to the incorrect words and the direction of Satan and to ignore what God had told them. And when he tried to draw out of them what they had done, they tried to hide. And we still do that today. We, we, we try to hide what God already knows. He already knows our thoughts. He already knows what we're thinking. So it's not good for us to try to hide, especially when we're embarrassed, thinking that we're, we've done so badly or that we're a disappointment to God. He is our Heavenly Father. He wants us to come to Him. He wants to have that relationship like that, like Jesus picking up the child in His arms. He has a very different way of thinking. His love is perfect. His justice is perfect. He is holy. We are not. And we need to follow him. He desires to have a relationship uh, with us. He picked up this small child and held him and explained the different thinking that he had and his kingdom. So those are just some of the things that I wanted to touch on today. And I wanted to allow Jim, if you want to mm. take that anywhere or, or make your comments about well, the transformation. The, uh, you know, they're walking and there's a long walk from um, Tyre and Sidon, Caesarea Philippi, back down to Capernaum. Long walk downhill, but long, boy, and hot. I uh, had to go through the Hula Valley, which was malarial. Um, anyway, I see them strung out in a long line like hikers. Okay, and sometimes they gather together for bite to eat, but generally they're in 
pair, sometimes singular, you know, maybe over a quarter mile walking. Some of them are talking, some of them are arguing. Jesus knows exactly what's going on. You see, they had mixed motives, the disciples. They believed that Jesus was going to establish the kingdom of heaven on earth and was going to rule the world from Jerusalem. He was going to be the king, and they were the cabinet. That's how they saw it. And uh, there was a pecking order in the cabinet. There always is. You know, there's a uh, second to the president or second to the prime minister, and then a third and a deputy. And, and, and depending on the portfolio, you know, there's greater or lesser degrees of status. And in our day, uh, one gets to have a Mercedes and the other one gets to have a Chevrolet. Um, so, you know, being the greatest meant you drive the Mercedes. And you're also the one who's going to step in if Jesus is removed from the scene. Okay? They were looking out for themselves. Even at the ascension, I mean, get this, in Acts chapter 1, now are you going to restore the kingdom? You know, now are you going to establish your throne? You know, now that all this has happened, they're still hoping. James and John still want to be in the right and the left of Jesus' throne. Okay? They're human, these guys. That's why they're arguing about, about who's the greatest. And so, you know, when Jesus gets down to Capernaum, he brings this little kid out and says, okay, you want the greatest? Here you go. Except you become like a little child. You, you will not enter the, you won't see, you won't understand, let alone conceive of the kingdom of heaven. You got to get this uh, personal self-aggrandizement, you know, off the table. Um, and it, again and again, as you're going through the gospels, the disciples, um, Private agenda, personal agenda keeps coming out. And at times you really wonder, you know, why Jesus chose these guys. But he knew exactly what he was doing. You know, you're mentioning, Rod, that uh, all but John was uh, martyred. Um, there's a city in uh, southern India called Chennai. Southern India has uh, hundreds of thousands, a few millions of Christians. It all started with Thomas, the doubter. Thomas, you know, who maybe had a brain in gear, maybe more so than the other guys. I'm not going to believe until I, I, you know. And Jesus very graciously showed him, but also cautioned him that uh, be much more blessed to believe without seeing the hole in my side and my hands than anyway. Thomas went to southern India, and he established the gospel witness there. He was martyred in Chennai. Now, it used to be called Madras, a city of nine million people. There's a cathedral there that I've been to where he's buried. There's also a big kind of uh, shrine up on top of the mountain overseeing the city. Uh, he was uh, speared to death by the locals, but not until he had established a witness that continues to this very day. Okay. So, yeah, they were human guys. They had human agenda. But finally, the resurrection and then the day of Pentecost, that really turned it around for them. And then Paul and Barnabas' ministry to the Gentiles, that took them to another level. And they began to realize that Jesus was Messiah for the world and not just for us Jews. Yes, Jerusalem is the place where God has placed his name and Jerusalem plays a big role in the end of days, but God so loved the world. And as Paul says, for us Gentiles, thank God he does because we've been grafted into this beautiful olive tree that is Israel. One of the things that's interesting is when you when you read Acts chapter 1, 2, and 3, and then, you know, you see this happening. First of all, in chapter 2, 
Peter is the one who is the most expressive of the human agenda. Mm. And you see him getting in trouble all the time and, and saying things he's saying. You're like, Peter, just shut up, just shut yeah. up, please. But when the Holy Spirit comes, yep. he turns into a dynamic, That's right. amazing, unbelievable preacher and when the leaders the jewish leaders say to him don't teach in this name anymore he says well what are we going to do what god wants or what you want yeah he becomes this is the guy that denied christ three times yeah. he becomes strong the holy spirit does that and you know uh there's no point to beat a denominational drum here i'm not going to do it but the fact is that the day of pentecost was critical absolutely it was not only a turning point for the apostles themselves but it also was the the uh, early genesis of what we know as the church exactly and if it weren't for the day of pentecost none of us would be here exactly mm -hmm. we, we wouldn't have churches no nope. and because the church is the individual it's nope. not the building it's not the establishment from the papers it's the individual who is who accepts jesus christ and is filled with the holy spirit and that individual becomes part of the church. It's very, very interesting. We, we could carry on all day. But anyway, tell us about your book. Okay. Because you, you wrote about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, here, funny you should mention, I just happened to have a copy. <laughs> it was in my back pocket. Uh, Catalan's Casual Commentary, um, A 21st Century Guide to the Life of Jesus for the Internet Generation. Jesus with an iPad, very biblical. <laughs> but uh, what I've done here, you know, uh, pastoring in Jerusalem, Israel for seven years, I really got to... Uh, know and understand a lot of the uh, historical and cultural context of the Gospels. And so I've written a commentary in Matthew, Mark, Luke, Acts, and John. And I've been, you know, doing it in conjunction with my television program, Jim Cannell today. Uh, but it really is a big help. It certainly is a help to me. <laughs> I was actually studying it before we came in today, just to remind myself what I'd written. <laughs> but, but the point is, friends, study to show yourself approved unto God. A workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Yeah, that's you right. Know? Very good. And so there you go. Study. Wowmission.com. Wowmission.com or jimcatalantoday.com or you can go online, any of the retailers online, Catalan's Casual Commentary, Google it. You can get it. Jimcatalantoday.com. And you mentioned, mentioned Chennai. That would be something that they would be able to research on wowmission.com right. yeah. as yeah. well. Yeah. I want to remind you that we have a prayer meeting on Facebook and YouTube and Bible Discovery TV where we pray, we come together, the prayer partners and the people, and we pray for you. Now you can join us live and put your prayer request in if you want to at 3.30 Eastern Standard Time in the United States of America. All around the world you can join us. So make sure you do that on Bible Discovery TV. Father, today we pray that we would build your kingdom your way not our way. In Jesus' name, amen.